Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. So, let's jump right in at the very end, of course. What do good fathers do is the question that we have to ask ourselves first. Verse 11 says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I like that this passage sort of, you know, or this part that we're going through starts off with like a slight jab at dads. Jesus is like, you guys are all evil. You know it. Your wife knows it. Your kids know it. Everyone around you knows it. You guys are all evil, right? And he says, if you can give a good gift, how much more do you think your heavenly dad can actually give a good gift? This makes me think I actually love giving presents to Evie. Uh, I don't feel like that's typically my love language, but, you know, since she came around, I do it all the time now. Evie's my little daughter. She's six years old. Uh, no reason at all. I was walking through Target one day, and I bought her a lammy stuffy from Doc McStuffins. Now, if you don't know, uh, you can go home and research this later. Doc McStuffins is a television program in which a tiny child acts as a doctor to all of her stuffed animals, and it is precious. And uh, she's just this cute little lady doctor. Uh, Michelle Obama came on one time for whatever that's worth, right? I mean, it's like, it's crazy. And so good, it teaches her lessons and how to be healthy and yada, 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 right? However, I must confess that Lammy is not the favorite stuffy right now. She's relegated to the bottom of a bin filled with stuffies. And in fact, the favorite stuffy right now is a stuffy named Pinkie Pie. Now, Pinkie Pie is a pink My Little Pony doll that was evidently pre-loved, left at school, and given to her by some teacher as a prize. I'm sorry if this ruins your whole childhood. That is where most teacher prizes come from. They are taken from children the year before, and then they hand them to your children, even though they have stains on the nose where someone else has been chewing on it. Now, contra Doc McStuffins... My Little Pony is an acid trip turned kids show that is basically the visual and intellectual equivalent of eating a Cinnabon. I mean, it's just totally and utterly awful. It is also equally loved. Thank you. Yes. We got some My Little Pony haters out there, right? Uh, It is loved alternately by five-year-old girls who love rainbows and unicorns and inexplicably teenage boys called bronies. Look it up. It's a terrifying trend. It's a real thing, people. All right? The world's a scary place. I don't like Pinkie Pie. I really don't. And I don't know why she likes Pinkie Pie better. She knows my feelings on the two. And in fact, while she was in Georgia uh, visiting family, she started missing Pinkie Pie. And mom suggested she FaceTime dad so she could talk to Pinkie Pie. And uh, she said, no, dad hates Pinkie Pie. He'll never put Pinkie Pie on the phone, which is true. It's true. It made me realize something about dads and gifts, especially as I was thinking about this entire passage. That good fathers do give good gifts. That's a thing. A good father should love to give good gifts to his children. But they only give good gifts to their children that shape and prosper their children. And only within the father's will. Right? I didn't give her Pinkie Pie. I don't like Pinkie Pie. I didn't improve of Pinkie Pie. I gave her Lammy because I'm a big fan of that. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, what are the Pinkie Pies in your life? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to stretch this metaphor any further than it needs to go. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. So uh, let's pause for a moment and recognize something before we go any further. So that's, uh, that's sort of the central idea today. You're going to hear that later. Good fathers give good gifts to shape and prosper their children, but only within the father's will. 
Now, before we go any further, we have to pause for a moment to recognize something, that some of us in this room actually had really bad dads. Like, you know how it says, like, you know, uh, your dad wouldn't give you a snake when you asked for a fish? Some of you had snake-giving dads, right? Hopefully not literally, but uh, some of us have had some truly heinous and terrible dads. And I've noticed uh, that very often uh, when that happens, uh, regardless of the actual status of your dad, a lot of times it can be difficult to sort of empathize and understand these passages about God as a good father when you had an especially bad father. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's, it's difficult to just sort of wrap your mind around why this would be something you would even desire. And I've chewed on that. There's no way in the next, you know, three minutes that I can sort of convince you that you should love this idea of, dad, or of God as a good father. I'm not even really going to try. But I do, as we're considering this, and even just thinking through this idea of could God be a good father for us, I thought about something that I think is true of every single father that has ever existed. I think a good dad, when there's a good dad who's actually trying his hardest, who's actually there for you, who's actually treating you the way that you're supposed to be treating you, or who's actually apologizing when they mess up, when there's a good dad, I think what is happening there is that good dad is actually pointing you towards Jesus in some way or another. Almost as if we're all sort of born with this like cut out of a dad in our hearts, right? We've got this little hole there and our dad sort of steps in and he fills it as much as he possibly can. And when he's doing really, really well, our dad is actually showing us more and more what Jesus looks like. He's showing us more and more how we're loved by a good, good father. But I think the flip side is also true. I think a person born into a family with a dad who's maybe not the best, who's maybe not there, who's maybe when he is there not uh, treating you in a way that you deserve, that's not treating you in a healthy way, maybe even an abusive situation, that dad steps into this dad-shaped hole that we have cut out and implanted in our heart and shows us just how small and feeble and, and sort of unfulfilling he is to that space that's left in our hearts. And I think the reason why... Jesus chose to use like dad metaphor and dad language here when he's talking about God. The reason why that is still appropriate, whether you had a good dad or you had a bad dad, is because either your dad is pointing you towards Jesus because of the ways that he kind of fills this hole, or your dad is showing you just how gaping that hole is. And you need to chase and understand why you even desire that in your life. Like, why are we hardwired to have this hole in our hearts if not to show us that we are missing something? And so here, God stepping in as a good father does not uh, partially fill that hole. He doesn't only fill in the gaps. He doesn't, you know, kind of step in. He fills it to overflowing. He actually shows us the dad that we have been longing for all of our life. Jesus says, we have it here. And following Jesus means, means that his dad becomes your dad. So knowing that we have this good father on the other end of the line... This now teaches us something about how we should pray. First, Jesus uses the lines, ask, seek, and knock. In verse 7 and 8, it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. I think in a lot of ways we can uh, read this sort of one of two ways. One is just like, oh, these are just sort of interesting haphazard words chosen by Jesus. Or we can ask ourselves why he would choose these three. Like, what is he trying to tell us by using these three specific words? 
It's also interesting that it's tied to a father metaphor. Uh, Dads actually and parents in general have to teach their kids how to talk and not just like putting words together, but also like when you show up somewhere, uh, you have to learn the language and sort of the cultural lingo that goes around with it. Uh, When you you can just say quesadilla. You have to say, I would like a quesadilla, please, right, with fries, because, you know, that's what kids eat. That's how you have to, like, teach them how to say that, right? And in some ways, I think this passage is sort of teaching us a way to approach God, like a father teaching a child how to come and ask him for things, right? Here, Jesus uses these three words and these three ways that we might be able to talk to God. He says, first, ask. Make your request known to God. Don't demand. Don't expect like a spoiled child. Simply ask. Sure, God knows what you want, but sometimes, like a good father, he wants you to ask for it so that he can have the pleasure of giving it to you. He tells us also to seek, to go after, to not just simply ask for something, but to be on the lookout for it. This word is kind of interesting. It's like when you're like losing your keys in your house or something. It's kind of like hide and go seek or something. Jesus is saying here, seek, go after it, look for it. Be on the lookout. Seek the scriptures for truth. Look for your prayers to be answered. Go on the hunt for them. Finally, he says to knock. Be active in your pursuit. Do something about it or towards it. Don't simply pray for growth, maybe in your spiritual life, and not put in any work. Don't pray for a boyfriend or girlfriend and also give up dating at the same time. Like, these two things don't work. You have to be active in your pursuit. You have to actually be looking and working towards it. And then, in saying that if you do that, he will give what you ask, seek, and knock for, he's actually training you on how to be able to respond to him. Like a father teaching his child how to ask for things. D.A. Carson actually says it this way in his commentary on Matthew. He says, like a human father, the heavenly father uses these means to teach his children courtesy, that's asking, persistence, that's seeking, and diligence, that's knocking. And if the child prevails with a thoughtful father, it is because the father has molded the child to his way. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later, but I want you just to chew on that last sentence. If a child prevails with a thoughtful father, it is because the father has molded the child to his way. So recognize here that God is not telling us this formula so that you can sort of like trick God, right? He's not like, well, you did the asking and the seeking and knocking. Now I have to give it to you. But instead, he's teaching you how to live. He's teaching you how to think. He's teaching you how to speak and how to respond to him. So what do we do with this information? Well, if you had a journal, if you're one of the lucky two or three that Cash called out that actually still have your journal, or if you have any other type of journal that you like to write in, or maybe even your phone, you could mark up a page and actually write down how to pray using these three words. This might actually give you a better framework. Now, if you're like me, very often uh, I find it difficult to pray for things. Sometimes it's hard to make that ask. Sometimes it's hard uh, to for the long run, I might switch over to Ray's mic if that's all right. Will that bother you guys too much? Check, check. All right, cool. Farewell, new mic. All right, um, so. <clears throat> wow, Ray, you keep this thing hot. Man, what's going on here? Whew. Anyway, if you had a journal, you could mark up the page with these three words, using them as a guideline for how you might pray. 
So the first word that you would write down is ask. And by that, you would clearly define what you are actually asking for. You know, very often we ask God in sort of vagaries or like, man, I wish this could happen. Or like, you know, maybe you pray it one way one day and then another way the next day, something like that. This is a good time to actually clearly define what exactly it is that you are asking him for. What do you want your heavenly father to do for you? Now, writing this down can actually be a super helpful exercise because, man, what if you write something down and you're like, God would never want to do that. It can be kind of like floating around in your head, you know, like kind of, and then as soon as you put it down to paper and actually read this sentence that you asked for, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, this isn't even something that my heavenly father would get behind. If you write down, hey, God, can you murder my boss for me? That's probably not going to get answered. That's not a good ask. You know, I would not put that down. And sometimes you have to put that down on paper to be able to see that that is what you're actually desiring for. If you want him to bring back your favorite TV show, that may not be a great ask. But if you want him to teach you to love like he does, or if you want to see your best friend come to know Jesus... Or if you want a new job so that you could have more time to love and serve those around you, this could be something that God desperately wants to answer and wants to give to you. James reminds us in chapter 4 of his letters, you do not have because you do not ask. And what we have to see is that it not be so of us, that we would be a people who ask. Next, you would write down on this page, seek. How are you looking for this? How would you even know if God answered this prayer? Putting there under this sort of seek category, what would it look like when this, when this prayer is answered? Maybe the seek, category, seek place is a good place to actually tally how many times you're praying for this. You actually make a little mark and say, God, I am seeking hard after this. And wouldn't it be fascinating in two ways? One, if you were like, man, I have been praying for this for a year. I have been praying for, you know, a new car or a boyfriend or a house or whatever it is. I've been praying for this for a full year. And then you pull out your journal and you're like, I have three tally marks by this. You haven't been praying a full year. You've prayed three times over a year, right? That's a totally different thing. But man, we all get sort of sucked up into this. And then we get mad at God when we're not, we're the ones not even praying. But the alternative would be. Man, what if you opened up that page and saw a thousand tally marks next to something? That should give you some room to actually think about it. Maybe this is something God doesn't want for you. Maybe it's something that you have to pray 2,000 times for. Either way, you'll be able to look back on time when you have actually spent seeking out the will of the Father, asking Him to guide you to this, and to be able to celebrate the ways in which you have been working within His will. Finally, knock. With this, you have to ask yourself, how are you working for this? You know, a lot of people uh, get sort of confused about prayer. They get sort of hung up on this idea as if it was just something that you do in lieu of working towards something. That you just sort of pray for something and you just sort of throw up this little text message to God and hope that it happens. You know, you're leaving him like a voicemail or something. You're like, ah, we'll see what happens. That is not what God calls us to do. These same very things that we are praying for, we should be working for. Uh, there's actually a famous quote. You've probably heard it before. It's sometimes attributed to St. Augustine. I'm not 100% sure on that. But uh, it, it says, pray as though everything depended on God and work as though everything depended on you. Now, I think on a theological level, there's probably some like questions we might have for that. And really, it probably should read, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on God. But that's not as catchy. 
But I think from a very pragmatic and practical level, this is how we ought to think about this. We ought to be knocking. We ought to be working towards this. We ought to be active in our pursuit of what we are asking God for. So then the question that we would have next is, if we go through these steps, if we do all of this, if we learn this language that God is trying to teach us, then will he give us everything that we want? Probably not. Verse 9 says this, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who asked him? Now I want you to notice what the child here in this example is asking for. They are bread and fish. This is the very same things that Jesus would multiply to feed 5,000 people not much longer than this. And what the child here is asking for is something that the child needs to survive. Something that's going to help the child grow up and be healthy and strong. Something that will sustain him for today and help him be healthy tomorrow. Plus, as we all know, the omega-3 fatty acids found in fish have been shown in some studies to increase brain functioning and heart movement. I don't know, I just made that up. Anyway, these are very good things that are healthy for you, right? The child is not asking for something that it doesn't need. The child is not asking for something uh, that would not be healthy and good for it. These are good things. And what Jesus reminds us of is that a father is not going when a child asks for something that is good. A child is not going to trick, or a father is not going to trick them and give them a snake when they ask for a fish or a rock when they ask for bread. I hopefully, uh, like I said earlier, I hope you didn't have the snake for a fish kind of father. This actually reminds me of the soccer coach that I had one time. Uh, and this was in Georgia, mind you. So uh, you would like go over and he'd be like, hey man, you did a great job that last time. And he'd say, put her there. And he'd shake your hand and he had like a used tobacco pouch in his palm or something like that. You're like going over there to accept praise from your coach. You're like, yeah, you know, you're in ninth grade. You live on this kind of stuff. And then you get this nasty like used saliva and tobacco thing. That's exactly what I think of. That's the only picture I have in my head when you hear snake for a rock, you're like, or snake for a fish. Like, that is exactly what is in my mind. And Jesus here is saying that most fathers are not this much of a jerk. Some fathers might be, but most fathers are not. And God definitely isn't this way, so why would Jesus even say this, like, absurd example? Right? Jesus says that even though you are evil... You still know that most of the time you know how to give a good gift to your child. You know how to give it food when it needs food. So why would he bring this example up? I've thought about this a lot this week. And I'm wondering that if this is true, if possibly the opposite is true. And then maybe the reason why he needs to throw this example out there is because what we come to him asking for is actually a snake when we come to him and we bring our request before him, sometimes we are asking for a rock, thinking that we are asking for bread. Could it be that what he is saying here is that when you ask for the right thing, a good father gives it, and when you ask for the wrong thing, or even the right thing at the wrong time, a good father will not give you that, and would actually be good and right to do so? I cited James earlier by saying that you do not have because you do not ask, but that's not the end of that section. The full context is this. James 4, 2 through 3 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and can, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive 
because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because we ask wrongly. We ask selfishly. We ask just so that we can have more things so that we can spend it on ourselves. We ask for something uh, that is ultimately only going to lead lead us into a life of more greed, more selfishness, more self-absorption. Very often we do not get what we ask for because it is not something that is good for us. See, the truth is that good fathers give good gifts to shape and prosper their children, but only within the father's will. See, good, give, good fathers give good gifts that shape their children by teaching them how to ask. That's the asking and the seeking and knock. To prosper their children by giving them something that is good, but only within the Father's will for them. And that's the weird catch to this whole thing. That's why, you know, if you've heard the term like prosperity gospel, like following Jesus is just going to make you, you know, healthy, happy, and wise, or whatever it is, right? Like uh, this idea that, you know, this verse means you can just go to Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to need that extra private jet because the first one is just not enough for me, like that kind of stuff. Like that's where this really sort of falls apart because Jesus is not a cosmic genie. Jesus is not some gumball machine up in the sky where you sort of put in the work and then he gives you exactly what you've asked for. Instead, he's actually a good father, which means that you are, when you are asking within his will, he is going to give you what is good for you and what is good for everyone else around you, but he is not going to give you anything else. He doesn't do this to be spiteful or to be crushing to us. He does it so that he can be a good father to his children. So yeah, maybe he's not going to give you that new relationship that you've been praying for because he knows that it would lead to your ruin. That deal that you've been praying to go through at work, maybe he's not going to do that because he knows that when you got that deal, you would think that you didn't need him. Maybe he's not going to take that temptation away because he knows that in struggling with it, you actually return to him. It keeps you humble, helps you to learn resilience. And no, he's not going to heal you, maybe, because he wants you to pine away desperately for your heavenly body to be a light, oh, and to be a light and a hope to others. But instead, he's actually going to give you something better than that, because that's what good fathers do. They take what we're asking for and give us what we actually need. They look at things that would harm us and say, you don't need that, but you actually need something more and better. Maybe he's going to give you a friend who can show you what it means to live like Jesus, to walk with you through your struggles. Maybe he's going to give you a spouse, but it's going to take you longer than you expected. But maybe that's all so that you can be better prepared to actually handle that relationship than you could have been when you were younger. Maybe he's only going to give you money and things at the point when, you, when he knows that you can be generous with them when they won't be a distraction away from him, but will actually be something that you can use to serve his kingdom. And what he's going to do, and in fact what he's always done, is to give you your exact life. I want you to think about this. If he's a good father that gives good gifts to his children, and you are one of those children, he's going to give you your exact life, the life that you have, 
all of your character traits, all of your failures, all of your weakness, all of your bizarre and twisting story that has led you to this place. He gave you that good dad. He gave you that bad dad. He gave you your failures. He gave you your illnesses. He gave you your exact friends. He gave you your job. He gave you your exact makeup and history so that you can be the person that he wants you to be to do what you need to do, what he needs you to do. Do you understand that? Everything that he has already given to you, if he is a good father, are actually good gifts for you to be able to accomplish his will for you here on earth. So the real secret to God giving you everything that you want is wanting what he wants. It's letting him be a good father to you and simply accepting the gift of being a son or daughter to him. As we close, I want to leave you with two options that you have for today. And I want you to think about this in terms of things that you're praying for. I want you to think about the way that you're actually living your life. You have two options for today. You can continue swimming upstream. You can continue fighting the current. You continue asking for things but not receiving, desiring, but being unfilled, living with disappointment and despair, just being the norm, looking at God, wishing that he would actually answer your prayer that may not be a part of his will. Or you can hop in God's boat going downstream. And over time and spending time with God, you actually learn where he's going actually learn to want to go where he is going. And then the things that you ask of him become what he wants to do anyway. And in that time, your will and God's will are so aligned that when you ask, he gives to you. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door is open to you because you and your good father are so deeply connected and so desirous of the same thing that when you ask, he's actually delighted to be able to give you what he has been waiting for you to request of him. And the only way to get in this boat is actually the best part because you don't have to do anything for it. There's nothing that you need to do. And in fact, while you were too busy swimming upstream, while you were too busy even fighting against this good and perfect gift, Jesus sent his, or God sent his own son, Jesus, into the water so that he might take your place into the water and actually help you up into the boat. He actually sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and for mine so that we might be able to align ourselves with the heart of the good father so that we might be able to find ourselves in him so that we might be able to come confidently to him in prayer and say ultimately God I want what you want God, here is what I am asking for. It is not of, if it is not of your will, please take it away from me, God. But if it is of your will, please give this good and perfect gift to me. Man, if you would say that that is you, that you have been sort of swimming upstream, that you've been fighting against the will of the Father, maybe you've never even accepted Jesus for your own personal Lord and Savior, you have that opportunity to climb in that boat today. That right now, in this moment, we're actually going to give you a second as we're singing uh, to actually spend some of that time and prayer with Jesus. 
You can ask and you can seek and you can knock. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins and we know that he is kind to do it. You can seek a life with him. You can knock on the door to heaven itself and say, God, I want to live with you forever and have your eternal life. So in just a moment, we're going to give you that time. We're also going to enter into a time of communion to where if you are already consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you get to celebrate the great act of forgiveness that he has given to you. And so every single week we take the juice, which symbolizes the blood that Jesus shed for you. We take the uh, bread, which symbolizes the body broken for you, and we do it in celebration and in honor of him. In just a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity. You can come down the center aisle and then sort of wrap around and go back up the sides. Uh, we have real communion again right here. We also have some MREs. Uh, if you've just gotten used to those, um, you can take one of those for sure. You can. That's all right. There's no shame in it. All right. That's definitely safer. So anyway, um, we have this opportunity for you to take communion here. We're also going to have the band come back up. Uh, they're going to play a little bit, and then they're going to sing. This is an opportunity for you to respond in any way that you see fit. And then finally, we're going to have some people praying uh, right back here in like the middle of the room. Uh, you can go over and pray with them. Man, if you have something that you are asking of the Lord, it might be the reason why you came this entire morning, just so that you'd be able to bring that to the Lord with someone else. And so these people would love nothing more uh, than to be able to pray alongside and with you. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll enter into this time of response. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are a good Father. God, we thank you that you're a better Father than we deserve. God, that you're a better Father than we could have created ourselves. You're a better Father, God, than we would even know to ask for, God, because you are a good Father who gives us exactly what we need and when we need it. God, and nothing else. So God, we ask of you now, God, that you would meet us here in this place. God, there's a lot of people here in this room from all different backgrounds, and they had all kinds of different mornings and weeks and years, God. There's probably a myriad of requests, God, all kinds of different asks. And so God, I'm asking that today, God, that you would show us your will, that you would allow our hearts to be aligned with your hearts, so that we might be able to see a glimpse into your will and your mind and your desire for the kingdom of God to spread in and through us. God, give us boldness and courage to ask. God, let us seek you with our whole hearts. Let us knock with abandon now. God, and you reveal to us what you want to do in and through us and reveal it to us in your good timing. If it's something that we're asking for that we don't really need, God, we pray that you do not give it to us. God, but you would reveal to us what we actually need. God, we pray that you would only give us things that would make us look more like you, that would help us to serve your kingdom better, that would help us to live as better kingdom citizens here on earth. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. 
All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.